0: Gotta stop doing my most hard conditioning workout of every week before we record this podcast. Feeling a bit sore. <laughs> yeah, I've actually I've developed a new callus. I've been doing a lot of rowing, and I normally get calluses on my pinky, my uh, my ring, and my uh, my uh, my rude finger, but now I've got one on my uh, main index finger. No doing hard workouts before the podcast next week, but no, so Too much need cardio. Need full energy and full pace for this. Sorry, Jacob, I'm so sorry. And I suppose welcome to everyone as well. Great to have you here, team. Um, my name is Bart, I'm the head coach here at Jets Australia and over, sort of straight in front of me is Jacob. Hi, Jacob Kettle here. What, Media extraordinaire, I don't know. I like to call you a multimedia wizard. That's, I don't know if that's on your, <laughs> your contract. but. I'll put that up. Um, great to have you and we do have a pretty cool conversation coming your way um, today team. Just a quick apology up top. We're going to get a bit nerdy. Um, But stay with us, all right? We're going to bring everything together because the topic we're talking about today is very multifaceted and very individual. So um, the past week, me and Jacob have locked ourselves in the JETS library and we've looked at so many different studies and we're looking at what the evidence says about muscle building, but it's also sort of good to take it as a a grain of salt because studies themselves are very isolated and they're in controlled environments and life is not a controlled environment. So we we have to understand how to interpret this stuff (sighs) <sighs> and then adapt it to our own lives. so um, it's gonna be a really cool topic. What are we talking about? Muscle building, muscle building mate great. I know we're, we're gonna get you huge after this episode. Um, before we move on, Jets Australia on Instagram and TikTok and on Facebook as well. all of them. make sure you follow us because there's going to be YouTube. a lot of hint on YouTube. There's a lot of information coming around uh, off the back of these episodes so make sure you're keeping up to date with the stuff that comes ancillary to this podcast as well um, and of course if you want to write in if you have a question if you have a success story you want to tell or if you're a business owner out there and you want to get your story told on the podcast podcast at jets.com.au send us your stories we're going to try and fold in a few more of those stories uh into this podcast yes definitely now without further ado It's time for your workout of the week. What do we got here? We are doing a really simple workout. And this, when I did it a few days ago, took me about 45 minutes. But all it is, is a five by five deadlift. Five sets, five reps. Okay. The intention is to try and lift the same weight across all those five sets. So you'll, often when you sort of see a five by five, you work your way up to a heavy set and you count that as your fifth set and then you're dusted. What we want to do here is build up to that heavy five and then do another five sets of that weight. So okay, so we're talking maybe 10 sets here, eight sets Could be, total. In- including your warm-up, warm-up weight. Warm-up, yep. yeah. It's funny how... I'm So I know I'm an, I'm an aerobic athlete. I'm, I'm more akin to cardio. I adapt to cardio. So yep. for me, I need a more of a warm-up than most people. It takes a long time for me to hit the right nervous system state. So this is really good for me and probably good for um, for a lot of members out there as well. So give this one a crack. The reason why I chose the deadlift is I'm a firm believer that the deadlift is one of the most foundational movements that should be incorporated into most exercise programs. Yes. doesn't have to be a conventional deadlift. It could be... A sumo or even a clean or or a power clean not cheating no (laughs) just picking something (laughs) heavy off the floor because i mean if we're talking about functional movement there's nothing more functional than a deadlift no not true very true so five by five is a deadlift of the week which made me uh, the workout of the week which made me think about well how does that translate to other people i'm not i'm not the strongest person out there but i like to think i can shift a bit of tin so Within my week of research, I had a look at deadlift records. And so a lot of people will know at the moment, the male deadlift record is held by Julius Hafthor Bjornsson, or Thor, also the mountain uh, in in Game of Thrones. And he lifted uh, 1,104 pounds, I believe, which translates to 500.76 kilos. Wow. That's so bloody heavy. But the more astounding thing is that is 3.2 times his body weight, which made me think about weight comparisons for real people. I also had a look at the female um, deadlift record. Tamara Walcott um, lifted raw, so this means without, without, um, without straps uh, and without a lifting belt, t- 288.4 kilos, um, a few, I think, in 2020. And then in 2021, at um, a strongman event, she pulled 290.75 kilos. Wow. Without straps in her belt. Yeah, not say hey. it's it, it's amazing that people can hold that weight with just like just their hands. But the again, the more astounding thing is that three point two times his body weight. So this took me down a rabbit hole, Jake, and I'm going to get you involved here in a second. Um, how this how this relate to normal people? Because we know the store is enormous. He's he's very strong for his weight, and we know mass moves mass. So he himself is very heavy. But how does it translate into? The real world so there's this wonderful website called strength levels which i cannot believe i did not know about until this week and from that you can put in uh your weight whatever lift whatever rep range you're lifting at the moment so sort of compare yourself to i think about two million data points of other people so i printed this out um and then i want you to find your weight and sort of see where you're at we look at your body weight and it'll say whether you're a beginner novice intermediate advanced or elite depending Ah, uh, oh, where at with your On a deadlift? Yes, just the deadlift. So, this is just a 1RM.
1: Okay, Correct. I haven't done one of those in a while. <laughs> we'll go. But I'll say I would be in the middle of just intermediate. Too advanced, probably
0: intermediate, I would say. That's not too bad. Intermediate, yeah. That's right. That's where I came out as well. Again, not not the strongest person in the world, but that's sort of where I sit. Yeah, I haven't really been throwing around too much
1: tin on deadlifts, but I'm getting there. That's good. Trying. I did have a deep dive as well Mm. on the big deadlifts, not the overall records, Mm. but some people that can throw around a bit compared to their body weight. Mm. And I found a a male and a female. So Taylor Atwood is a male who's 74 kilos and does a 303 kilo squat, which is four times his body weight, a 195 kilo bench, which is 2.6 times his body weight, and his deadlift was a whopping 340 kilograms, which is 4.6 times his body weight. Uh, Jessica Bittner also has a deadlift of 247 kilos, at uh seventy three kilos, I think she was. Holy Um, mother. that's three point two five times her di- her body weight. So some big numbers.
0: That's I don't huge. know how you get to that point. Or I have no idea. I'm. I know a lot of it is you know genetics and sort of levers. We know people with long arms and they are relatively short legs will, will be able to pull off the ground a bit more. But it's also hard training and sort of if you wear a belt or if you wear a suit and or if you wear straps and and that, that sort of stuff.
1: How do you feel about? Wearing belts, should you in- encourage people to get to wearing belts? Is that more something down the line once they've figured out their form? I personally mm. haven't ever. Oh, I've used it probably once or twice for mm-hmm. someone else's. Did I you pro- find it
0: when you used it? Was it was it weird?
1: Oh no, it was great. I I was <laughs> like throw another twenty kilos on either side, uh-huh. easy. Like I just have probably been <clears throat> a bit too lazy to buy myself one. I think I need to just Fair. get one, and then. Actually, start using it and because I, it. I liked it, but mm. I just have never been bothered probably to buy a weight, a weight belt. But I think I'm coming to that point where I do need to invest in one. Well, you're strong enough to have one. or you think you're strong enough? Yeah. You're, you're Once you start getting the above two times your body weight, I feel like
0: I don't want to. <laughs> I need some, <laughs> some. I need some help. <laughs> I need some help, baby. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny with weight belts. It's not something that I recommend very often. If you're obviously if you're a competitive power lifter. Um, wearing a belt is allowed, and you should, because it will probably make you a competitive powerlifter lifter, lift more weight. But you got to think about what the, what the belt does. And so the belt forces us or encourages us to brace outwards into the belt. It's essentially sort of another, another muscle or another spine that's wrapping around our body. And if we practice that outward brace too much, we're taking away from our, our real brace, the brace that protects our spine. If we think about our lower back, our glutes, our midline, part of that function is to protect our spine when we are lifting which is why we say lift with a a straight back and so if you practice too much with the belt you're going to find that you're going to be reliant on the belt and in some cases this is really funny is that people will start to see their core muscles atrophy they'll start to shrink because they're not using them to the right function so my sort of my my stance is the same with lifting straps as well if you're always using lifting lifting straps on back day whether it's a deadlift or a pull you're taking away from the function of your forearms. And we know through the theory of the kinetic chain, if we can brace our forearm to find retraction, to find the back, we're going to be fundamentally better in terms of muscle gain because we're, we're firing more muscles. We're irradiating the muscles around the point. So my, my stances use them sparingly. So if, for example, it's one, one RM day um, and you really want to test yourself, of course, throw on, throw on the belt, but just don't become reliant on it. It's sort of where I sit. Yep. And I see it a lot in 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 our gyms as well. Like people always wearing straps or always wearing a belt for, for biceps. Yeah. Curls. Or like,
1: <laughs> yeah, just wearing it the whole time they're working out. Correct. And, and
0: every exercise, I yeah. Don't e- get that. Even like lying down. Yeah. It's it's um uh, a few questions I have for them, but the the, the the reason they're wearing it is probably because their back hurts or yeah. perhaps they think that they can um, they can lift a bit more with it. But we have to teach our body to brace and protect our spine naturally so don't become reliant on the belt uh, i suppose no. or the straps hey let's let's talk about some muscle building okay great now i'm very passionate about this topic and because uh, i see i see it done incorrectly quite a bit or i assume it's done incorrectly whenever i walk into a gym and I see people exercising in a certain way. I, I'm always reluctant to judge because I don't know their context. I don't know what program they're running. I don't know where they're at. Um, uh, and there's always some questionable technique. But my sort of my stance is every exercise is all right, or every exercise is safe if you do it correctly. But there are some fundamentals we want to go through. And in preparing for today's podcast, I did a lot of research. And the original running sheet I had was about five pages long. And I looked at it and I went, this is, e- this is far too convoluted, even for me. So for you at home and for us here, we're gonna keep things bloody simple. Okay, good. And the way we're gonna do it is just go through the exercise, what sort of exercise should we be doing for muscle gain, what sort of weights, um, what sort of, weight to sort of splits, what sort of frequency. We're gonna talk a bit about nutrition, what we need to do nutritionally to gain the maximum amount of muscle. And a little bit about recovery as well, because the fact is we don't grow muscles in the gym, we grow it out of the gym. The muscle, the, um, the gym just t- sends the signal. But first, want to address that muscle building shouldn't be just a pursuit of vanity. Muscle building is the key goal I encourage for most people, even people who want to lose weight, especially people who are going into older age. Because muscle building or having muscle mass does more than just make us look a certain way. And I've written, I've written a quite, quite a list of benefits here. A better blood sugar management, so the food that you do eat. You won't have the super high highs of the blood sugar and the super low lows. You'd be more even keel because you've got more metabolic tissue on your body. A higher metabolic rate, so the amount of calories you burn just being, will be higher, again, because you have more more hardware on your skeleton. Lower injury risk, easier fat mass control, a better contextual hormone uh, balance, better joint health because you've got muscles that support the joints, A stronger immune system, which is very poignant now with a few viruses going around, and less anxiety, better mental health, purely because you've got more metabolic tissue on your body. So don't think this is just for big bodybuilders or people who want to get as big as possible. This should be a pursuit for most people, or at least at some point in your year. As we mentioned in the weight loss episode last week, this idea of sort of having a calorie surplus, having a calorie deficit, and working through... Um, some sort of pattern with calorie surplus and deficit throughout your years, the best way to keep your body adapting and progressing. There's two major resources that are used for the training portion uh, of this episode. And they are maximizing muscle hypertrophy, a, syst- uh, syst- a systematic review of advanced resistance training techniques and methods. It's a, a, an analysis out of Poland. And a shout out to a guy named James Kreiger who has a website called Weightology. I use this as a resource quite a bit, and I've used this particular analysis a lot. And it's set volume for muscle size, the ultimate evidence based Bible. And so, what these two resources give us is a pretty clear average set of this is how many reps, this is how many sets, this is how much frequency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which we're about to go through in a second. But as mentioned at the top, the studies will tell us a roundabout idea. They won't account for individuality. So if we say a frequency of three times on the chest per week is, is optimal for muscle, muscle gain, it might be a bit different for some. It might be four for some people or two for others. And so the, the best way to sort of look at the studies and apply it into your own life is to try things. Try things, see how you respond, and then learn from that as well. And you can do this with your cardio too. What makes muscles grow? And this is going to be the most nerdy part, just stay with me, all right? There's three mechanisms that's mu- that cause muscles to grow within your body. Uh, metabolic stress, mechanical tension, and muscle damage. To summarize here, metabolic stress is looking at your muscle fibers and making those fibers bigger. This is the pump, the transient, uh, transient muscle hypertrophy in a way. Um, and what this does is, when you do a higher, higher, higher rep set with a, a moderate or lighter weight, you'll get cell swelling, and you'll know this, boys and girls. After you've done a session, you look at yourself in the mirror uh, in the bathroom, and you look puffed up, and you look really good, and that's where the gym selfie happens. It's it's uh, that's just the way it goes. The cells swell, and this occludes oxygenated blood moving into the muscle, so it means the muscle can't get a- enough oxygen because of this swelling. Metabolites build up, like positive hydrogen ions uh, and lactic acid, which signal the satellite cells to grow, Alrighty, So the pump is growing the muscle fibres, which you could consider metabolic stress. On the other end of the spectrum here, we have this idea of mechanical tension. And so the best way to describe this is heavy weight with long rest. So you're not quite getting the pump. You'll get a bit of a pump. That's just the way it works. But you're focusing on stressing the muscles neurologically to encourage what's called myofribular hypertrophy. It's getting nerdy. All this means is that we're growing new muscle fibers. So that's why you can get someone who's 74 kilos uh, and can lift four times their body weight because they've taught their nervous system to have a higher output and they've created more fibers within their muscles to express that output. So even though they might not be as big as Uh, as as an uh, Olympia stage of bodybuilder, they can lift them more than them with body weight in comparison. So what we've got here is adding more muscle fibres to your body and making those muscle fibres bigger. So you can already tell that the most optimal way to grow muscles is to do both. So we add more muscle fibers to our body, and then we can make those fibers bigger by training in a different way. Muscle damage happens just through both of these mechanisms, but it also happens when we do, you know, cardio or, or, or a lot of reps, not necessarily focusing on this idea of transient muscle hypertrophy uh, or myofibrillar hypertrophy. So three mechanisms. One of them's heavy. One of th- heavy with lighter weights. One of them's uh, lighter with 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 um, lighter weight with more reps. And muscle damage happens as a result. That's how we grow muscle, all right? If we were to put this into an equation, Jacob, you can tell I'm really excited I about lo- this. I love it. The equation is stress plus resources plus time equals gains. A signal of muscle building in the gym plus adequate nutrition, we're talking protein, calorie surplus, plus recovery, Equals gains. It's really easy, isn't it? When you when you look at it like easy, that. Sounds easy. Sounds super easy. But does that sort of make sense? There's yeah. The, there's a lot sort of big words in there, but yes. When you break it down, <laughs> to that. We'll try. <laughs> but yes, look uh, for for the member at home. You may or may not need to know this, but it's good to understand it when you're phasing your training. Because what I see a lot is people always working in the eight to twelve rep range, doing three to five sets. And they, don't, they don't... Yeah, I've been guilty of that. Oh, me too. When I, when I started, if I went over 12, I went, I am burning fat. I do not want that. I want the gains. I'm going to stay below 12 uh, and above 8. Because that's what the studies tell us. Yeah. But again, studies go for 4, 8, 12 weeks at a time. They don't look at someone who's training for 4 years, 5 years, which is what we're hoping for you guys at home. So it's important to take the studies, understand why they work, but note that the body is an adaptive machine. So your body will get used to whatever stimulus you send your body. I think we've talked about this um, last week as well. So it's good to understand the mechanisms so you can program your training a little bit better. All right. Exercise. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Great question. And again, the, the resources we use state this pretty clearly, particularly the, um, uh, the Weightology Summary by, by James Kreigot, awesome resource. We will link it in the show notes for you, um, for you to have a look at home. And what we've got here is a set of principles that me and Jacob are going to go through um, one by one by one by one by one. There's a few here. Um, but if you stick to these principles, you're going to be in, in an optimal state to send the right signal to your body. In the Polish study that, we, that we're going to reference a little bit, they mentioned this idea of um, contextual variability. So they understand that the body, uh, the body adapts, and so training the same way won't have the same results forever. So that's a good thing to um, keep in the back of your mind as well. And in that study, they looked at stuff like drop sets, um, uh, rest pause sets, uh, density sets, which we'll touch on a little bit, but we might save that for another episode. Um, We're just going to talk about straight-up sets and reps today. Jacob, can you read that first point for me? Three to four whole-body resistance workouts per week? Yes, yes, and this is where we're going to start. We're talking about whole body workouts because we need to take into account frequency. So for most people, a whole body workout will give them the most opportunity to grow muscle. Again, variance uh, is dependent. If you've been doing a whole body split, so you're working out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, training your whole body each of these days, if you've been doing that for years, it's probably within your best interest to change that. Again, novelty, the body adapts, give it something different to adapt to three to four sessions seems to be the sweet spot again for some it might be five for some it might be two if you're a beginner one session is all you need if you've never lifted weights before that's enough which brings up this idea of the minimal effective dose we don't want to do everything all at once to get the job done we just want to find what will work what sort of what stress we need to apply to the body for it to change so we give ourselves room to add on. If we do everything all at once, we don't have much, much wiggle room to add more volume. We probably have to take the volume off, which might mean we sort of regress our results. Yes, cool. Four to eight sets per body part per workout. Now, what does that mean, Bart? So if we're looking at the chest, for example, and we know we, uh, we need a pretty high frequency, which we'll go through in a second. We're going to do a chest, uh, chest exercise on Monday, a chest exercise on Wednesday, and a chest exercise on Friday. On Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to do four to eight sets on the chest. So we're not going to do any more than that. There is sort of a diminishing return. I like to think of every workout as having a line. And um, and that line is the maximum amount of, of muscle you can grow off that workout. If we go above that line, we may start to see diminishing returns. And so that line from the studies tells us it's four to eight sets per workout. And if we look at that over a week... It's 12 to 24 sets per body part split up over the week. And you might be thinking, well, on Monday, International Chest Day, I do 12 to 24 sets. All at once. All at once on the same day. And so for you, the person that does that, you just got to take that volume you do and split it up further throughout your week. Send a signal on Monday, send a signal on Wednesday, send a signal on Friday. So that kind of brings up this idea of frequency. So when we talk about frequency, we're talking about how many times per week do we hit a body part? And the sweet spot is about 2 to 3. And so this way this is where you can sort of have a, a bit of fun with your programming. Um I like to vary my squat, um uh, my squat positions. So I won't always back squat. So I might do a back squat on um on Monday, a front squat on Wednesday, and then another back squat on Friday. So I'm still hitting the, uh, the same body part. It's a relatively high neurological movement, a big compound movement, but means I don't get stuck in doing the same exercise every single workout. So I suppose another example would be for the chest. If you do a bench press on Monday, you can jump in and do a dumbbell chest press on um on wednesday and even perhaps a machine chest press on friday so we're still hitting uh the same movement pattern a horizontal push but with a little bit of a different stimulus depending on what weight and what implement we're using that being said bench press is king and we'll go through exercises in a second at least one recovery day in between your workouts how long What is the maximum amount of time it takes for your nervous system to recover from a workout? A big, big workout. A 1RM workout. Are you asking me? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A day? Yeah, more. It can take up to two or three weeks. Okay, depending well. on depending on how hard you shit your nervous system. If you absolutely demolish it, mm. one RM bench, one RM squat, one RM deadlift, your nervous system is fried. It can take up to about two weeks for your f- nervous system to recover. Your muscles may recover faster, but your output and your nervous system may not. Okay. So we need to take this into account when we think about um, our, um, our exercise programming. Yeah. So w- at least one day rest in between these sessions. And even if we look at Mike Mensah, who was a a bodybuilder years ago, who had who sort of his his theory was high intensity training. So he'd build him up, and then he'd do one massive hard absolute to failure set, and then rest five days before he hit that body part again. So he would thrash his muscles, thrash his nervous system, and then allow the recovery and that seemed to work for him so he's working with his biology there what what we don't see with normal people is is that what we do in a way with a body part split but the body the, the um uh, but the studies tell us a high frequency is optimal and to hit that high frequency we need to have that rest day at least one in between each session okay. and that's something that took me a long time to figure out as well i was seven days a week in the gym thrashing but as soon as I took took my foot off the pedal and focused on quality over quantity and frequency, some magic things started to happen. Rest periods. No, sorry, reps. So in terms of repetitions, again, we know sort of the 8 to 12 rep range m- most likely is the best for um, uh, muscle building reasons. And the theory goes, it's sort of, you're getting a little bit of mechanical tension, which we we're talking about at the start, and you're getting a little bit of metabolic stress. So you're sort of hitting those two mechanisms within the one set. So it's, moderate to higher ish volume depending on the person uh, depending on your training program and that's where that's where the sweet spot for hitting both of those is but the rule of thumb is you're going to change most to what you're not doing the body's going to change fastest to novelty and so if we look at what rep ranges build muscle the real answer is all of them so we need to make sure we're also phasing in and out of these rep ranges and this is where we do kind of get into the minutiae of metabolic stress versus mechanical tension so a, an optimal program for a general person who's wanting to build as much muscle as possible three to four weeks focusing on mechanical tension on heavier weights with longer rest three and then moving to three to four weeks of um, uh, metabolic stress lower lower weight Higher repetitions. So that way you're hitting both of these stimuluses at different times, but you're isolating them within those three to four weeks. So, in terms of repetitions, it depends. It depends on where you're at and what you've been doing in the past. But a rule of thumb, and a very general rule I give a lot of people, is finish each set, whatever number you choose, whether it's five or 12, finish each set with two reps in the tank. We don't need to go to failure for maximal muscle growth. In fact, a lot of muscle growth happens sub-maximally. So we talked about that line before, the most amount of muscle you can grow in one session. If we go to failure on each of our sets, odds are we're tipping over that line, which means we're not going to grow more muscle. We're just causing more damage to the body, which requires more time um, to recover.
1: When would you suggest people try to go to failure? I feel like sometimes people go through the motions, I'm one of them, Mm -hmm. and you kind of think you're getting two away from probably failure when you probably might have four in you now because you're working you're mm-hmm. progressively overloading but you might not be adding that extra weight mm. so you kind of need to eventually try to get to failure to kind of test yourself and you see do. where you are because sometimes you just you can go months we're going all right i'm two away from failure mm. that's my eight reps i'm
0: done mm-hmm. not adding more weight and you're kind of just going through the motions correct you know um in terms of how many times per week or per month, it's, uh, it's up to the individual. But, you know, at least w- once a month go to failure on, on the motion just to see where you're at. And a good example of this is high rep squats, which are just disgusting, but can give you a really good um, a, a really good sense of where you're at with your strength. And a good example is I just went through a, a 20 rep squat cycle. We started at, um, started at 10 and went up to 12. 14, 16, 18 and then we did a 20 rep max test and I got a lot higher than I thought I would and so now I know that that's my limit for 20 repetitions or that's my failure point for 20 repetitions which Jacob as you mentioned um, we won't know unless we try but we don't need to do it every set and in fact you can get away probably with doing it every workout but make sure it's on the last set of that exercise if you're doing a five-by-five deadlift and you want to see and you want to test yourself, you strap the belt on, you get the ammonia out, you put the the wrist straps on, only go to failure on that last set. I don't want you to hit failure on that first set because you're just making the next four sets subpar. Sending a consistent signal is really important. When we're talking about rest periods, this is also very interesting, something that um, Brad Schoenfeld, who's a, um, a strength and conditioning research uh, bloke, he, he has some incredible studies and so I have a search of him, Brad Schoenfeld. He's done some great studies about rest periods and sort of the thickness of, um, uh, of the quad muscles and sort of that we've found that longer rest periods tend better for muscle growth, which is something that we, um, is a bit of a misnomer in some, in some respects because we're often told, especially for metabolic stress, lower weight, higher reps, short rest periods, to really focus on the pump is the way to go. But from what we're looking at the research now, anywhere between one and four minutes is where it's at. And the reason being, um, we've got to look at sort of what happens in our rest periods. And so the the initial burst of energy you have when you start every set is through this creatine phosphate system. You may have heard of it before, the, the, the ATP, the Krebs cycle. It takes a while for that creatine phosphate to, to build back up after you set. And if we don't give it enough time, we're not going to be able to lift more weight in the next set. So the longer rest period seems to allow us to recover more so that we can make the next set more beneficial. If we rush that, we could be um, we could be sacrificing our gains, especially especially when we look at mechanical tension. If we're lifting heavy weight, you need to rest.
1: Well, yeah, are you talking mainly, if you're doing, say, like a 5x5 five five deadlift like that, to have that 4-minute rest in comparison to if you're just doing a machine not 12 reps kind of thing you
0: only have needing two minutes kind of that kind of thing it's a great question i think i think the, with the heavier weight you obviously need more rest because you're using more resources on the chest press machine research shows that a slightly longer rest than you think might be uh, maybe more beneficial and this is something that you can try out as well something you need to see what works on your body but my recommendation is sort of have a baseline always of 90 seconds do you have a timer? Do you use a timer or are you just kind of vibing it out? I am to the second. To I, the second. I use my watch. My Garmin has a strength training setting, which is really cool. Okay, that's good. As at the end of every set I go beep and at the start of okay. every set I go beep and it tells me. I probably need to do one of those. Yeah. It makes a difference. And plus like if you've ne- if you've never timed a set before, do it and just see how far you are off. Particularly if you use your phone.
1: Yeah, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I probably will check. Socials in between sets if I'm bored or got to, got to, got it because I don't, I'm not using my timer, so just clicking away. Yes, we'll all right. Well, well if I get a smartwatch, yeah, I'll test it out,
0: or even like just I uh, know it's a uh, no, it's fiddly, but on your phone, just yeah, like literally do the timer and just see so a f- feel, sim- similar to sort of where your failure point is, get a feel for what 90 seconds feels like, and often it's a bit faster than you think, particularly if you're on Instagram. So, one to four, one to four minutes rest. It's sort of the, the sweet spot for, for muscle gain. But you know, you'll see strong men take a bit a bit longer rest. They'll also have a can of coke to, to chug down in their rest periods as well. But that, that's another story. <laughs> um, recovery. So if we're looking at we know our frequency is two to three times per week. We know whole body workouts tend to work best for most people. What do we do on those recovery days? That can help aid um our muscle building pursuits. And there's a couple of things that sort of make a lot of sense. But aren't really focused on in a number of studies, but from anecdote and through training a lot of people, I've known I've known them to work quite well. And one is cardio, which is very interesting. Hey, yeah, because normally you think I don't want I want to preserve as many calories as I can because all those calories are going to to building muscle, but aerobic cardio. When we're talking about aerobic cardio, we're talking very low heart rate. Um, for about 20 minutes. We don't want it to be too long. Too much cardio will start to take away from the gains, but a little bit can help it. The reason being is when we do aerobic cardio, within the muscles that we're working and kind of systemically as well, we increase our mitochondrial density. This means every cell creates more mitochondria to break down energy. If we increase our mitochondrial density, we can recover faster because our cells are more efficient at taking in oxygen and creating energy. So adding in a bit of cardio, nothing stressful, can help. And on the other end of the spectrum as well, super high-intensity work can build muscle too because of the nervous system element. You're moving so fast, you're activating these fast-twitch muscle fibers, but you're not doing it for very long. So essentially, it's for example, sprinting, you're lifting weights with your legs when you're running because you're running so fast. And that can elicit sort of a, a muscle building growth as well. But the um, um the, what's that saying? The proof is in the dose. Proof's in the pudding? Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> the do it's dose dependent. So if you okay. do if you do too much of this stuff it'll start to take away from yeah. the gains, but if you do enough, it can actually help you.
1: Like I feel like when you train something like legs and you you wanna feel you don't want to walk again for the next few <laughs> days. But getting out there doing like a light jog or getting on like a bike really does help kind of get you back on pace and it does make you feel better.
0: Helps you recover. And it helps with the DOMS as well. And again it's got to, it's got to do with the build up of the metabolites within the muscle from the exercise that you're doing. And uh, and you know, soreness is um a little, little bit of a mystery, but we of figuring out what, what it is. But we also know that increased blood flow at sub-maximal intensities can reduce soreness. And I think it's got to do with flushing out the metabolites that you build up. So previous um, belief was that you do your leg session and then I'd lay on my bed on my couch. Now, I wouldn't want to move for the rest of the day because I want the muscles just to do it, just to focus on, just, r- just relax, grow, just grow. grow. But it's not like that at all. Um, and so that's why walking 10,000 steps a day helps in, in a number of ways. You're pushing, you're pushing the metabolites out, you're allowing the, you're, tra- you're, um, you're transporting nutrients into the muscle because of the, ex- the extra blood flow, aiding with recovery. Mobility plays a role with this as well. And it's also a misnomer um, uh, that lifting weights uh, makes you less mobile. If you lift weights in a full range of motion, you actually get more mobile, which is definitely. Oh yes. What else we got? Recovery? Um, a rep range that is novel to you. We've tried that. And then the exercises themselves. Compound movements, multi-joint movements are the way to go. My top five. That That's should big five. Big five, baby. That should be in every muscle building program or a variant in muscle building programs are. <coughs> number one, a barbell squat. Either a back squat or a front squat. If you can't do a front squat, take the weight off and build your weight up, awesome movement. Number two, we've already talked about it, a deadlift. Could be conventional, could be sumo, could be trap bar. These things use so much nervous system activation, so many muscles affect your whole physiology that your body gets a big blast of muscle building signals. That's why they're so good. A good squat uses almost every muscle in your body and the body works in integration. Number three, is an overhead press or a bench press if you want to go down that route. But I think there's more functionality to our overhead strength than there is to our pushing strength. Although the chest is very popular and what what's, what's your bench is still a very popular question that happens in every gym around the country, I think more onus should be put on the overhead press. Are we talking barbell or anything? Barbell, but uh, barbell primarily. But again, novelty plays a role here. If you've Standing? Been, correct. If you've been doing... Um, A barbell standing press for the last six months, it's probably within your best interest to try a different variation. One thing that I've sort of changed my mind on in the last year has been shoulder presses with a dumbbell using the bench, leaning back on the bench. I don't do that anymore. Because functionally, we want our shoulders to operate with as much stability as possible. If we add too much decline to the bench, Arguably, we're not getting our full lockout, meaning we're taking away from range of motion, and we're not training our stabilizers. We're not encouraging the serratus to brace or the midline to brace when we're doing that motion. So most of the programming I do now is either sitting up on a bench, so you're not having got your back on, on the back of the bench, or you're doing it standing. More functionality there. And then number five, here's a pull-up, which is a body weight movement and doesn't involve the barbell. You'll note the first four movements of these five, the squat, the deadlift, the overhead press, um, oh, I missed number four, the bent over row, and uh, are all uh, barbell movements. Barbell translates uh, very well to strength training because you can load a lot of weight on top of it, but isn't the be all and end all. Number four is the bent over row, some sort of horizontal pull. Um, I like it because of the bracing position it puts you in. If you're in a a relatively horizontal position with your torso, it's going to cause your midline to activate, and you to brace with your hamstrings and your glutes to keep that bent over position as well. Very functional, again, using a lot of um, a lot of muscles that we probably don't often use. And number five is the pull-up. I think everyone should be able to pull their weight over, or at least get their chin over a bar. Yeah. And I think sort. if
1: you're a beginner, like not everyone gets into these early, if you can get into these exercises early and start getting good at them, like myself, mm. never really got into front squats, when i started mm. so they were kind of like a scary oh, I don't, i'm i not going to do them just because i don't do them i can back squat a bit more mm-hmm. and like a bent over row you might do something on a machine that's mm-hmm. kind of subsequent but if you start doesn't matter how light it is if you start getting used to those movements down the track it really helps you in the long run because you can do all those m- movements proficiently Nailed and it. then start building it up
0: i love that i love that you, you know, what you just said there was with a guise of practice. You know, we don't start at these movements usually, but you build your way up to it.
1: Yeah, because you sometimes, like I, for one, didn't front squat for years Mm. because I still don't really, because Mm. I was like, I'm kind of getting more advanced. Uh I don't want to go back to the start kind of thing. So if you're just starting out, learn all those foundational movements. It'll help you way further down the track. Preach. Uh, absolutely nailed it so pull up yeah I, I see like a lot of people can't do that many pull ups mm.
0: to start with yes you go on assisted with bands it's uh-huh. on a machine correct yeah so you can start so basically what we want is some sort of vertical pull pulling something to your body from overhead the pull up I think is the best best for that because there's a whole lot of proprioception benefits body control benefits and there's, it's a great achievement because a lot of yeah. people don't think they How can. How many do. can you do? Full range. So we're talking. I have a, I have a bit of a peeve here. We're talking. We're <laughs> talking. Straight arms at the bottom. Yeah. Disengaging the shoulder blades. Yeah. I can do, but maybe about twenty, twenty, twenty-two. No. Half okay. range, I so do a lot more, but full yeah. range, I uh, pull up some of the superpower. Um, so, if you haven't got a pull up, as Jacob mentioned, we need to work our way up to it, and it's. Look, every, everything we do in the gym, we need to practice. And when we're talking about muscle gain especially, I want you to take this idea of whenever you do a movement, you're practicing it to be better at it the next time. We're not just doing it to stress the muscle uh, and build it. We're teaching our nervous system how to, how to move properly. And so when we're looking at a pull-up, the best way to start um, is a very regressed version, which might be a lat pull-down machine. But then finding a way or finding an option for you that gets you hanging from a bar, because even just hanging from a bar is a skill. It's great. Just hanging there. Oh, yeah. That's some great. great studies of shoulder health and just hanging hanging for a minute or two every day. Good for your grip, but also good for your shoulders because you're in a fully um, a fully locked out position. So for someone trying to do a pull-up, um, power bands are your friend, finding a way to either loop the power band laterally across a rig and standing on the power band to pull your, pull yourself up or, you know, hooking your foot into it to help you out. Maybe maybe we'll do a video on this as well, just yep. just to help people out a little bit. Um, but it should be a practice thing, even like, even even running, right? Everyone just, everyone assumes that they can just go out there and go for a run, which of course they can, but running itself is a skill. And so if we put time into learning that skill, we're going to be better at running. So we're not just going out to run, we're going out to practice to run better. It's the same with, with lifting weights as well. So in terms of exercise, that's what, the, that's what the, the research tells us. And so your mission now at home is to try these things or try these principles, and we'll write a blog as well um, to sort of put these um, in, in succession for you so you understand it a bit, a bit clearer, but is to practice these and see what happens. And if it's different to what you've got in your mind about what muscle building is, great. Change the paradigm and try something different because the body will respond generally to these rules. Nutrition. We know that we need to eat in a calorie surplus. We need to eat more calories than we're burning to add weight. This is physics. We need to eat more than we're burning to build muscle. So the first thing is is to understand that calories are king. We're not going to build muscle unless we're in a calorie surplus. We could be hitting our protein requirements but missing our carbohydrate or fat requirements. But we think we're going to build muscle because we're hitting our protein, but we're not. Calories need to be higher than what we're burning. That's just the bottom line of it. Same with weight loss. We need to eat less than we're burning to lose weight. That's the way physics works. There's a couple of things that will help you out here. Number one is knowing where you're at. So understand that what you're eating now, if your weight hasn't changed for a little while, and what you eat roundabouts every day is putting you at a calorie maintenance, which means to add muscle, we need to eat more than that. But one thing that took me ages to learn is that, so my, my weight gain um, journey is really interesting. I started lifting weights at 72 kilos. A budding actor in his third year of acting school wanting to put on weight To become uh, a screen hero, what uh, so you could be better roles other than nerdy class kid? It was. And how old were you? Twenty one. I started late, so I started lifting at twenty one. It it helped though. Like I got considered for roles, like you know the the what was it? It was a TV show about the Spartans. Oh, I can't remember Someone out there will know They'll remind us Anyway they're ripped and it's, 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 it's following the guise of the 300 film But okay. it, it was awesome So I put in a screen test And I got, I got um, accepted to go to the next round And then in the next round They had the contract and So if I passed this round I would sign a contract And I'd get flown to South Africa To go through a three month training camp To get you ripped for the screen And then you have like a, a one month filming block After that training camp Wow! It's like that. It's like a. It's like a dream. So I was salivating. Yeah. And at the time, I was. I wasn't. I wasn't much heavier than seventy two. I might be like 74, seventy four, seventy seventy five kilos. But not nothing. Nothing to where I'm at now. Yeah. Um. And I didn't get it because I was one inch too tall, and my eyes were brown. Oh wow! I know. Because the Spartans had blue eyes. I don't know. Well, apparently the role I was going for. And th- they were short. Yeah. But it's a real thing, especially in, like, um, uh, like leading ladies, because leading ladies in films are often really tall, and sometimes leading men aren't. So there's a lot of trickery that happens with the camera, but ideally you just hire people who are the same height so they don't dwarf each other. Yeah. Anyway. Well, one of the downsides of being tall, but Yeah, I know. Could have been. But it almost got me a role as Prince Charming at Tokyo Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> so many stories. Um. What are we talking about? Nutrition. Nutrition. So my, my weight training, my, this is really interesting. So I started at 72 kilos. I went up to about 78 kilos. So I, I gained a lot of weight within my first couple of years, newbie games. It was really good. Girls were noticing my arms. I was really happy about it. And then I got really sick. And so I went through radiation therapy and I dropped down to 68 kilos. So I was less than when I started. Wow. And now I'm at 87. So I've essentially gained 20 kilos in... Uh, 2014, six, eight, eight, years. eight years. Thank you. Good math. And it was like, it was it was, it was bad because I went to radiation therapy. I was feeling really bad. But as soon as I got back into training, I gained muscle so fast. It was like every week I was just ballooning up. It's muscle memory, yep. it's a real thing. And so now I'm at um, uh, 88 kilos. But one thing I didn't understand early on when I was looking to gain weight is that if I gain two kilos of weight or two kilos of muscle, I need to factor that into my nutrition. So previously, if I was just eating 2,400 calories and that was enough for me to gain muscle, if I gain two kilos of muscle, that threshold goes up. So now I need to eat 2,600 calories. And so that that game happens for your entire muscle-building career. So now I'm at a point where I'm eating about 3,500 calories a day to maintain 87 kilos, albeit with a lot of cardio, which isn't really helping. But we need to factor that in. And so this is, again, looking at this idea of, look, we don't just want a six-week transformation. We want to look at you in the next 12 months, which might mean you at home. If you weigh 72 kilos and you want to gain two kilos of muscle, you're going to have to start at 2,400 calories or, or whatever. But once you hit that weight goal target, you need to keep that higher calorie yield because you have more metabolic tissue, which is muscle, on your body. So when we're talking about nutrition, it's important to factor in the long game here. The macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fats, the first priority is to look at your protein. And we've talked about palm-sized portions of protein before, but to get a little bit more specific, how much protein do I need to gain muscle? And again, the studies sort of say 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kilo of body weight, which is hard math. My recommendation is just to double your body weight and aim for that if i weigh 87 kilos i'll aim for 180 grams knowing that i'm probably going to drop short because 180 grams is a is a lot lot. This being said there are exceptions to this rule if you've got quite a bit of adipose tissue to burn if you're quite overweight and you weigh 130 kilos my recommendation wouldn't be to aim for 260 grams of um uh, of of protein sort of look at that 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilo of body weight to bring that threshold down little bit just to account for the excess adipose that we have on our body so that's the first protocol 180 for me 100 I'm going to aim for 180 grams of protein per day and I'm going to split that up into as many meals as I want how many meals that is precisely it, it doesn't really doesn't matter. matter doesn't matter my recommendation would be more than one because that's a lot of food to eat in one sitting even two so, if, you, if you're if you a breakfast, lunch, and dinner sort of person, great. Just make sure you get your calories in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Add the snack if you want to, but um, uh, don't rely on the snack to get your calories up and over. Protein, 2 grams per kilo of body weight. Aim for that. Do not skimp on the carbohydrates. Now, this is the thing that people underestimate quite a bit. You can add muscle by doing a low-carbohydrate diet, but... It is very hard because you'll have to eat a lot of protein and a lot of fat to get calorie surplus. Remember, calories are king. That's the number one thing we need to gain weight onto our body. So the carbohydrates you do eat, if you're a little bit scared of carbohydrates because of this crazy myth out there, the carbohydrates make us our, uh, make us fat. First of all, don't believe the myth, but you can also sort of push most of your carbohydrates before and after your workout, so at least you know psychologically that you're using the carbohydrates during your workout, and you're using the carbohydrates after your workout to recover. But again, the studies don't really really equate big significance to that timing of carbohydrates. There is a little bit if you're an athlete and you have a workout later in the day, but it's just important to make sure we hit the right amounts of carbohydrates. And if you are a bit stuck on how many, how many macros um, uh, do I need to eat, never fear. There's an episode coming soon on macros. But a good resource for you is the Precision Nutrition Portion and Portion and Macro Calculator. You can type that into to Google, Precision Nutrition Portion and Macro Calculator. We'll pop a link in the show notes. And this gives you a roundabout amount of food you need to eat, depending on your goal, your lifestyle, how many meals you have per day. And then sort of puts it in a very digestible report for you. And then from this report, you can go, all right, I need this many palms of protein, this many cupped handfuls uh, of carbohydrates. It gives you calorie amounts as well to at least give you a starting point. But don't skip the carbohydrates. Good. I know. won't. I, I never do. Never will. Good boy. Um, and so if you want to look at it in a ratio, uh, the ratio that sort of works for a lot of people, again, not all, depending on your body type, is 30, 20, 50. 30 grams of protein, that's right, sorry, 30% of your calories from protein, 20% of your calories from fat, 50% of your calories from carbohydrates, which looks like quite a bit. For me, it's about 400 grams a day at the moment, which is quite high, but I metabolize carbohydrates quite well. So for o- other people, the ratio might be 30, 30, 40, for example. 30% of your calories from protein, 30 from fat, and 40 from carbohydrates, and some might be a little bit different. Um, but the guidelines are relative to the person and where they're at and sort of how they digest food. But don't skimp on the carbohydrates. Water, we know we need water, especially when it, when it comes to, um, to building muscle. It'll just help the process. It'll lubricate the process quite literally. Um, and if, you, if you're dehydrated, of course, that takes away from your performance at the gym as well. And we want to make sure that we're on top at the gym, lifting the most amount of weight that we can within the principles we've went through. And if we're dehydrated, that can take away from your performance,
1: can you drink too much water? Do you drink water at the gym when you're like, are you drinking constantly when you're tr- working out?
0: Yeah, but not always. Like today, so for so today's workout was a cardio workout, it was awful and long, but I didn't have much rest, so I didn't take many sips during that workout. But if I'm doing a muscle building workout, I'm in the gym resting one to four minutes between each set, I'll, I'll have a sip here and there.
1: Yeah, I feel like sometimes I drink too much water at the gym because yeah. it's like in between sets, I'm bored. I'll go up, get get some water, and I'll just be chugging water. I'll be like Brad Arthur at the Eels. Have you seen the NRL <laughs> coach? He has about 24 <laughs> bottles of water, and he gets through every one of them in a game. I'm just chugging water, and then I don't know if it's <clears throat> affecting
0: my workout probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can drink too much water, and you can actually die from too much water oh, as yes. well, but that's an endurance athlete. But um, look, you can, but I think the, the ideal situation is you go into the workout hydrated. You yeah. sort of top up your hydration levels during your workout, And then you gauge sort of the colour of your urine after the workout to try and keep it relatively clear or or that pale yellow. One thing a lot of people don't uh, take into account is electrolytes. And if you're a heavy sweater like me and you train a lot and you don't eat many processed foods because there's a lot of salt or sodium in processed foods, odds are you might be under-consuming your electrolytes and your sodium, which is something that blew my mind. So factor that into your nutrition as well. And is it right, like if you're drinking too much water, you're flushing out those electrolytes? Correct. Someone told me, I'm not sure how true it is, but it kind of makes sense that water doesn't make you hydrated. The minerals in the water do. The minerals in the water is what makes it enter the cell. If those minerals aren't there, the water's just going in, in and out, in and out, in and out. So I always keep handy and I keep it in my bag because I'm that sort of person, just some pink Himalayan rock salt. Yeah, nice you sprint. helped me out with that one time.
1: But <laughs> <don't> Bart, <laughs> Bart and I were doing a fitness test, and I, it was a like an eight minute push yourself as hard as you can. And I pushed myself so hard <laughs> that I think I was cramping, or like I couldn't move off the floor Mate, after it you was were, done. You were in a bad I was way. In, a, in a bad way, and Bart was just like, "Here, <laughs> have some salt." Just and they have that like pickle juice at footy and stuff. I see mm. a lot now, and just straight yeah, get that salt, salt. in there. Yeah, it helps. It, fixes, it helps. Did help me come to.
0: Back into reality. Consciousness. No. That's right. Yeah, that was, that was bad. <laughs> good times, but always good to have salt nearby, nearby. Um, and don't forget your micros. One thing that a lot of muscle building aficionados forget about is whole food vegetables and fruit. Look, there's an important why we re- we recommend this. There's an important reason why we recommend this sort of stuff, and it's the stuff within the fruit that keeps you healthy. Like we mentioned with weight loss, the first step is to get healthy. A healthier body, or a healthy body will build muscle faster and more efficiently if we're not if we don't if we're deficient in certain micronutrients whether they're minerals um, electrolytes or vitamins we're going to be putting ourselves behind the eight ball to maximize our muscle building so don't forget about those vegetables get your colors on your plate change your vegetables up every week to get a bit of variance and don't just think you have to eat rice broccoli and chicken for every meal there's a better life out there for yeah. you <laughs> I know it's easy but there is a better way to do it. And finally, lifestyle. Look, we'll touch on these, this stuff a little bit more, but this stuff is very important. Sleep. Please sleep. Please, please sleep. Because it will get you to your goal so much faster than you have ever recognized. And you don't really understand how important it is until you tidy it up, until you see the effects. All right? So focus on your sleep. We'll talk about a bit more of that um, in later episodes. Um, remember that the body adapts, phase your programming, you don't always need to be in metabolic stress or in that psychoplasmic hypertrophy state, change what stimulus you're sending to your body to send a muscle-building signal, and avoid the perma-bulk. In every gym, there's one, two, maybe even three blokes that have been bulking for the last 20 years. They're inflamed, they often wear a weight belt. Don't be that person. One of the best things you can do if you've been on a bulk for a very long time is to enter a deficit.
1: What if I'm trying to become Thor and be the <laughs> biggest,
0: biggest man on the planet? You'd be, you'd be interested in, in the way he trains. I think.
1: Yeah, he's actually skinny now. So. Is he really? He did a fight with Eddie, he- Eddie Hearn. Oh, really? Boxing match. Damn. They got real skinny. Check him out now.
0: I will. Yeah, but he's yeah, the, okay. way, the way he changes his body is incredible. So don't be don't don't no perma bulk. No perma bulk. In okay. fact, remember bulk deficit. Bulk deficit is probably the best way to go uh, in terms of long term uh, muscle gain. Oh my gosh, a lot of information. Check out the blog to summarise everything and start practicing this stuff on your body next time you enter the gym. <laughs> so you're talking about Thor the Mountain, not Chris Hemsworth? No, not. Chris Hemsworth Sorry, my, the my, my mistake Because didn't Chris Hemsworth Because there's a new Thor coming out Yes And he looks jacked Always, yeah, yeah He's massive He's got a good body Did self-centre also, I think Did he really? Made a
1: bag out of that, so Interesting he will but, be. We'll, but he'll still
0: be the face, right? I think so surely, I'm not sure
1: Surely, anyway Q&A, Bart You want to get some quick Q&As To uh, finish
0: us off? Uh, qu- quick Q&As? Yes, let's go
1: Okay Let us go We've got one here How do I train my abs to get a six-pack? Yeah, great
0: great question. Or an eight-pack or a ten-pack I've seen before as well. Lucky if you have one of those. Absolutely. So training the midline. So My encouragement is always train the midline for function. What I see a lot is people on the floor doing sets of 100, 150 crunches. But if you wanted to grow your legs, you wouldn't often do a set of 100 barbell squats because that would... Uh, I don't no. know how to think about that. that sounds and so, why why do we do that for the midline? So, the first thing we got to, we got to think about is the function of the midline. It has a whole heap of functions, but it's movement. It's movement, um, uh, it's m- movement limitations. Um, uh, no, no, it's movement capacities. Uh, a lateral bracing, and flexion and extension. And so, the flexion and extension is going to train that six pack the most. But we can't neglect the obliques, which are on the side, and indeed your low back and your glutes, which I also kind of wrap into this idea of the core, because they're all, they're all friends, they all help each other out. And so the first thing we want to do is work in full range of motion. For those at home, we can do this right now as well. Sit up nice and tall, and I want you to flex and extend your spine. So we're going to bring our belly button into our spine, and sort of crunch our hips and our ribs together, and then we're going to bring it the other way. We're going to sort of arch the back to find that end range. This is nice content. But that's the function hope of- hope you're watching the video. <laughs> we that's, were but that's the function of of your flexion and extension of your spine. And if we think about someone doing a leg drop, lying on the floor and just dropping their legs, they're not flexing and extending their spine. They're bracing their midline, but no, they're not expressing that movement. So the first thing to do is to find exercises that can express the full range of motion of your six pack and i very notoriously i'm not a fan of training my abs because it, for some reason for me it hurts a lot and i just i can't it <laughs> yeah. just it just sucks it yeah. just sucks
1: i did a series the other day f- and i hadn't been doing abs in a long time and i was in pain oh, the next day oh, dogs. i actually do remember as a probably a young boy for some a reason young boy. a young boy i think i was in primary school still <laughs> and for some reason it just i was like i'm just going to do sit ups I'm. I want to do. And I think that day, like one day, i would never done sit ups before. Wow. I did like three hundred. I did so many sit ups that I couldn't. I was in that Dude. much pain the next day. I couldn't. I was like, Dad, can I not go to school?
0: I'm sick, <laughs> I'm sick. I'm sick. Have you ever had a um uh, what do you call it? A cramp? An ab cramp before? Oh yeah. Not not so. not an experience you want to have. And probably no. probably poor training. Anywho, ran, uh, exercises that express the full range of motion of your midline. And I don't like training the midline, so I've identified a few exercises that get you big bang bang for your buck and get you, um, get you out of the door pretty quickly. Um, one, one great tool is using the Swiss ball or a BOSU ball because the ball is rounded, which can sort of emulate and mould to your spine when you're in this big, open, um, flexed position with your midline. Um, is a really good way to practice the flexion and extension of your midline. But one tip I'll always have is whenever you're doing core work, engage your glutes somehow. So if you're on a Swiss ball, your your feet are planted, your lower back is stretched over the back of that Swiss ball, press your heels into the floor to engage your glutes. This is to turn off your hip flexors. If I know my glutes are on, my hip flexors are most likely going to be deactivated to a degree, meaning I can't use them. And so it's a big mistake with core work that people use their hip flexors more than they use their midline. The reason they do is because they can still feel it in their, in their abs because they're bracing, but they're not expressing the movement. So I always try and turn on my glutes and then curl your spine down onto that ball and then vertebrae by, by vertebrae curl your spine back up. You can call this sort of the perfect sit-up, the perfect articulation of your spine and then the perfect articulation of your abs. It's really, really, really hard. I can't do more than 10 of them correctly. So that's a really good place to start. And if that is a bit too hard, practice this bracing position. You'll hear me talk about the hollow position a lot. So we're talking hollow holds, hollow rocks. And this is basically, essentially, lying on the floor, you're flat on the floor, you pick your feet up off the floor, so they're pointing to the wall opposite you. You curl your tailbone and your shoulders off the floor to create tension in your midline, and you hold. This is a great, great bracing pattern to practice and then from there you can make the lever longer by putting your arms above your head And you can even add a rock to it so you're kind of rocking on the lower back But your tailbone's coming off the floor, your shoulders coming off the floor to practice this hollow position This translates over into I don't want to say everything, but most movements, particularly those hanging from a bar. If you're in a hollow position, when you're doing a pull-up, you have more body control. If you're in a hollow position, bracing position, when you're doing a deadlift, you're going to have more tension through your midline. So practicing the hollow position is a great place to start for beginners and, in fact, for everyone. And then if you can hold the hollow hold for, you know, a minute, two minutes, Good on you. That's that's bloody hard. So we've got a Swiss ball crunch or a Swiss ball sit up. We've got practicing the hollow position. I really like ab wheel rollouts as well. Very old school, but they sort of put your midline through an end range brace, but you can control. Really great way to Do you train. You start on your knees, and if you can work Correct. up to your le- standing. I haven't gotten to my toes yet. No. Yeah, I stay on my knees. But like, this is this Kindle is an standing thing. You're great. Oh yeah, you're a winner. One thing I see a lot, the same with planks as well, or even in a push-up position, is the position of that midline. So we don't want the back to arch, which is where the hollow hold comes into it. If you're doing an ab wheel rollout, I almost want you to think about pushing your lower back to the roof. almost want an arch in your lower back to keep that bracing position. If we don't, we're just training a poor recruitment pattern. We're training our lower back. So maybe you do a plank and roll out. really crunch those abs and bring those shoulder blades in, pack those shoulder blades to create that tension. And the dragon flag, love a dragon flag. What's that? Yeah. You, uh,
1: what's that flag? I
0: don't know. Maybe that is a dragon. flag. That's ma- cool. If maybe. you can do that, good on you. Lots of cool people out there. Um, I don't know. Maybe that is a dragon flag, and maybe what I'm no. What I'm doing is what I'm talking about is a dragon flag. I swear. Anyway, you're you're on the floor. Um, there's a, like a rig pole above your head, you're holding the pole, oh, yep. and you curl your spine off the floor, bring your feet up as high as you can, and then slowly drop your legs down to the floor, and, or, or an eccentric portion. I think the, the dragon flag is you're just holding that position. But push your feet up, control back down to the floor in that hollow position, and it creates a lot of tension on the midline. Um, and uh, w- noteworthy uh, hanging leg raises. And these are things that I see done a lot as well, just people using their hip flexors. So if you're hanging from a bar and you bring your knees up into tabletop, um, we need to make sure that we're curling the hips under and we're affecting the flexion and extension of the midline for you to work your abs. If you're just bringing your legs up into tabletop, then straight, then up into tabletop and straight, it's mainly just your hip flexors. Okay. So if we do the hanging leg raise right, we're articulating the spine by trying to get those knees up as high as they can. And in fact, a really good way to do this is um, knees to elbows. So hang from a bar and try and get your knees to touch your elbows and then slowly control back down to the floor, or back down to um, a hanging position. Awesome exercise, really hard to do. So practice. If you're a bit stuck on where to start with this, practice your hollow hold and hollow position. Do a bit of research and have a bit of practice and then allow that hollow position to translate into your planks, your ab wheel roll out, your dragon flags, and your hanging leg raises. But also consider as well, like the, the abs are just like any other muscle. We need to load them and stress them within the same way we stress a squat or a deadlift. So sometimes they're f- the forgotten child and you need to they are. remember. They really you do are. have abs. And if you really they help. They do. Like, whenever I train my abs frequently, I'm so much stronger in every other lift. And if you're really serious about it, train your abs at the start of your workout rather than just saving them for five minutes after. Train them at the start, engage them, so you're more likely to use them within your workout.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bart. Pleasure. All right. Is it safe to keep doing overhead movements if my shoulder hurts?
0: Good question. It is. So often people will have, you'll have to click in your shoulders. Yeah, I've got a few clicks. I've got I can click. A really great analogy I heard, and I love this, um, is think of your shoulder joint. Think of like a, um, a screen door on a track. So you open the screen door, you close the screen door. If there's like a grain of sand or some dirt, it'll be crun- it'll be crunchy, it'll be a crunchy screen door. And then over time, more dirt will get in, and at some point, that door will come off the rails. And if we look at that with, with our shoulders, they're probably going to be uh, a bit creaky to start off with, which is why we need to warm up, and the entire range of motion of our shoulders before we do overhead presses but if there's pain there's an issue so the, the clicks and cracks you know they'll probably be there for for most of us but that just means we need to warm them up a little bit more but if there's pain there's a problem and the most common problem is just because of the way we live our lives we're very forward focused our shoulders are rounded and whenever we press from a rounded shoulder position one we're not going to get straight above our head, we're sort of pushing the bar or dumbbell in front of us. And then we try and get that thing over our head by arching our back. But just trying to push from a poor shoulder position is gonna make that problem worse. So for for this member, my recommendation is to just ease off the overhead movements for a little bit, focus on shoulder mobility and pulling movements. Because if we know our shoulders are forward, what's gonna fix that is getting our shoulders back. So we need to make sure that we're releasing the traps We're sort of releasing those upper back muscles that give us a full shoulder blade, retraction, protraction, and then pulling more. So rather than pushing, bench pressing, and overhead pressing, I want you to horizontal pull, vertical pull, and prioritize that for X amount of time. And then try and do an overhead movement lightly, and I'm I'm sure there'll be some sort of improvement there. But mobility plays a big role here too. The shoulder is such a complex joint. It does so many things work your way up to it absolutely and, and f- there is a
1: lot of people that like warm up wrong oh yeah. it might be worth do- looking at the right ways there's they're
0: doing nothing that's yes helping. i do i do see a lot of these yeah which which is which is good to a point but there's a right way to do it oh absolutely and think of it as well if you so the, sh- the shoulder has a big range of motion if we don't express that range of motion we lose that range of motion so if we only train our overhead presses in partial reps, we're strengthening that partial rep range, which means we're not going to have full function and full overhead. So it's a complex joint, make sure we're articulating that joint in all its ranges. Hope, I hope that helps you. That's it. Excellent. Good day, happy day. Well team, we hope you took something away from today. Take these muscle building principles and start to practice them within your own um, within your own gym. Um, as always, follow us at Jet Australia on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, podcast at jets.com.au. Send us your stories. Ask us your questions through that email. Anything from you, Jacob? No, just keep becoming your personal best. Oh.
1: I'll see you in the gym.